Father in heaven, you are the great promise maker and you promise good to us and you promise to be ours forever and we will be yours forever. You promise good to your children and those promises come in many forms. Those promises deliver good in many forms, even promises of good in the form of trial. Good that comes to us in the form of trial, even in our, even in our failing bodies and even in the failing bodies of our loved ones and good that can come to us even in these things in Jesus and in his gospel because you are a shield and a portion for us in our possession forever. For if the sun stops shining, you're our sun. And if the earth dissolves like snow, nothing will revoke your blessed call to us in salvation. Father, we pray this morning as we think of the word we're about to read for our widows. Father, and for those who like our widows who are all alone and vulnerable to many forms of loss, discouragement, and difficulty. And I ask this morning that you would be for them their portion and that they would bear great fruit for your name as you have positioned them just to do and that they would see that. And I pray for the rest of us this morning that you would put us to work for their material and their spiritual good. Father, show off the mercy of Christ, which we have received in our life together as a church, that your name and your mercy might be known in our community on account of our care of your lonely and lovely daughters. Father, today's date marks transitions for some at the front of life, a move into college for others in the middle of life, maybe dropping a child off at college. And today's passage calls to mind a transition that is for many and made at the near the end of life and is very difficult. Minister to all of us through your word now. Open our eyes to see what's here. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Open with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy will be in chapter five this morning. We'll read in a moment verses three through 16. 1 Timothy chapter five, verses three through 16. Today we consider an underappreciated but essential mark of a healthy church, the church's care for her widows. 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse three. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith, he's worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been a wife, the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. But refuse to enroll younger widows for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur the condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, They learn to be idlers going from house to house and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Well, I don't know what it's like to enter old age. I don't know what it's like to lose my eyesight. I don't know what it's like to lose my balance. I don't know what it's like to lose the freedom of pain-free movement. I was on the couch for too long with the kids last Saturday watching cartoons and I hurt my back. 
uh, took a few days for me to feel it and I was groaning and grunting and complaining around the office. And then when I laid down on the couch on Saturday to watch cartoons with the kids, I realized that's it. So I laid down the opposite direction. That's about as bad as it gets for me, at least at the moment. And I don't know what it's like to lose my memory and the deep frustration that that must, that must bring. I also don't know what it's like to care for parents entering old age, to take on the investment of time and energy and heart that that kind of difficult care requires, to see the strength of those who raised me fail and then depend on me even to carry them in weakness. I also don't know what it's like to lose a spouse. I'd rather not think about that. But part of married life, if God has blessed you with a spouse, is the sheer likelihood that one of you will die before the other. There are these occasions when two spouses die together. That is certainly not likely. One of you will be left alone. Well, Timothy didn't know what these things were like either. Timothy had stomach issues apparently, but he was hardy enough for a treacherous journey. And he was hardy enough for this hardy assignment at a difficult church in Ephesus. And maybe that's one reason why Paul spent so much time here on the subject of the church's cares for wid- care for widows. Widows were usually older and Timothy was young. Widows were usually, usually ladies. Timothy was a young man. I can think of other reasons why this decently long section is in this letter. Widows are complex. He speaks here of different kinds of widows, different family situations, the kind with family, the kind without, different ages, the kind that are young, the kind that are, that are older, different, disp- different spiritual dispositions, the kind that are genuinely seeking God and the kind that have left their faith maybe hanging around to take advantage of the church's generosity, different material and spiritual vulnerabilities for different widows at different ages and different situations and different opportunities for the display of God's mercy in the life of his church. Without discernment, we see that it's possible for the church to hurt where she's supposed to help, to spread herself too thin where she should instead be focused on acute needs. Timothy would be detailed in his analytical care for the church in her doctrine, sound doctrine, good doctrine. The health of the church hangs on that. And he would need to be detailed and analytical in his administration of the care of the church's widows. Widows are old, Timothy's young. Widows are complex and nuanced in their needs. I can think of another reason why this gets so much attention. And that reason is rooted in the nature of God and that is God deeply loves all his daughters and and he especially loves his widows. Widows are deeply loved. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. He's the God who commands his people in Exodus. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child and there is trouble to those who do. He's the God who instructed his people to leave a bit of their fields for those widows and sojourners who would need food. And his heart is seen in the person of his son, Jesus, who raised the only son of one widow, who accepted the offering of a widow, two small copper coins and commended her and who arranged for his own widowed mother's care from his cross and who bought his church with his blood so that she may become like him. This is the church, as you'll remember from chapter three, an assembly of the living God and widows are heirs with every church member in Christ. The church is the household of God and the church's widows are her most, among her most vulnerable sisters. And the church is the pillar and the buttress of truth. And the church's care for her widows was a demonstration of what God's gospel creates as well as the Christian family's care for aging parents as well as the widow's fruitfulness and ministry. All of these things emanate the glory of Jesus Christ and his gospel to the community. God loves his widows. I caught a tweet yesterday that I won't be able to forget. Um, It was a picture of two fish. One had really bright and beautiful eyes 
And the next one had some punched in eye that was kind of, kind of gross. And, the, and the, the, the text of the tweet, Kuwaiti police have shut down a fish store that was sticking googly eyes on fish to make them appear more fresh than they are. You get it? That's rough. Well, in the next few months, we'll have a nice refreshed visual identity around here, a little cross on the door, a little refreshed order of worship, nice fonts and such do not a healthy church make, although they're nice and fun and even a part of good hospitality. The freshness of the church will be seen in her care for her widows. Before we unpack the passage, allow me to quote Kent Hughes on an important dimension of today's passage. Today, the application of this passage, he writes, should be wider because modern American culture has produced a category of women virtually unknown in the first century. Christian women and children who have been abandoned by their spouses and left without family support. Godly single mothers are a new class of widow. And those without family and resources are the church's sacred responsibility. Our focal point today will be widows, but we'll do some occasional work to remind ourselves of how this uh, spans other areas, but only occasional and small applications there. This category of widow applies equally to those who are single and into old age. I may not overly qualify my words, but I want you to hear this as we stare at the passage and think of the particular lots of widows and concentrate there. All of us are to take this and put it to work in the context of our relationships as a church with those who are the most vulnerable among us. And indeed, single mothers are uh, deeply among them. Some widows are able to work in our culture, have resources left to them from savings. Social welfare is a great help. And kids, but often single mothers are without the opportunity to work or with limited resources. So be mindful as a church of the ways in which this applies, even as we dial our attention in on the specific lot of widows. They're a category of acute vulnerability in this first century church at Ephesus. There will be ways in which what Paul commands for the church at Ephesus doesn't carry over for us exactly with our widows, as you'll see. But there are many ways in which what he commands in principle for widows carries over into other kinds of relationships. So let's be wise in our application and insightful in our, and energetic in our putting to work of today's passage. With all that by way of introduction, let's work through Paul's instruction manual for widow care. Are you ready? Three parts. First, our widows need us, friends. Our widows need us. Let's just read it again. Verse three, honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent has, is dead even while she lives. Command and teach these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith. It's worse than an unbeliever. Well, that's pretty serious. How could a a kid who doesn't take care of his parents be worse than an unbeliever? Well, because nature has taught every human being that this is how things go and that this is right. And unbelievers, even in the Greco-Roman world, had a pattern of taking in their age. It was how they provided for one another in older age. I count two things that widows need the church to do here. First, they need us to know them. They need us to know them, to discern their situation. He says, honor widows who are truly widows, truly widows. He's, he's restrictive here, which is to say the church and its care of widows needs to discriminate and discern and know their situation. Honor here carries with it an entailment of material provision. All widows, of course, should be honored, but there were widows who were, he it, more carefully translated, widows indeed, truly widows. 
Those kind were the object of the church's material support, even robust material support. We're given two questions to ask. And before the church invests itself in material care for a widow, the church needs to ask these. We need to understand their family situation. Do they have family who can care for them? Or are they, as the text says, left all alone? Are they destitute? A widow would be in a terribly vulnerable position in that day. Bruce Winter helps us with some of the background in the the Greco-Roman world for us. The dowry, which was provided by the bride's father, always accompanied a woman to her marriage. It contributed an important legal aspect of marriage. In the event of a husband's death, the laws governing that dowry were clearly defined. A widow was cared for by the person in charge of that dowry. Two options were open to her. If she had children, she might remain in her deceased husband's home. There she would be maintained by her new Lord of the household, possibly her son. And she could also return to her parents, taking her dowry back to her family. In other words, the family was a place of moral and legal obligation in the care of older widows. Legal because of the laws and moral because of nature. It's perfectly reasonable for us to assume that in the economy of nature, parents will invest deeply in their children as they are young And as those children grow up, then they will make a return to their parents by investing deeply in their care. I was speaking with Brad Hilgeman this week, pastor of member care who helps manage our benevolence efforts with a team of deacons. Said, we always ask, what is your family doing for you? Sometimes nothing. Sometimes they haven't told them about the need. At times there's tension and he put it well. We'll settle that tension down so you can help one another when you need it. Uh, we're so distracted and we take our, our provisions so for granted. In part, the state's assistance in older age may make us take less seriously the importance of healthy family relationships. We let each other go for years at a time. We allow tension to fester without feeling like there's any cost to us in older age. But these relationships aren't just convenient or for companionship, they're for our provision according to God's design for the family. That's the first thing widows need is to discern their family situation. The second would be their spiritual condition. Verse five, she who is truly a widow left all alone, family situation, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Now, this is an interesting two checkboxes on the, on the application for benevolence. Are you continuing in prayer night and day? Are you self-indulgent and dead even while you live? <laughs> Check the box. Well, why these two options? I'd suggest that in part, the desolation in the ancient world would press a woman either, frankly, into continual prayer if she knew the Lord because of her lot or into chasing sin, in some cases, prostitution to support themselves or into, as we'll see, laziness and gossip and what have you. The trial, as all trials do, of widowhood can bring to light the fact of a person's genuine conversion even. Now you might ask, shouldn't the church help everyone who's in need? And that would be nice, except the church has limited resources, especially considering the extent of a widow's need at the time. If the church is going to properly care for any widows, she was going to have to be selective. That's the first reason is scarcity of resources. The second reason for discriminating has to do with the woman's need herself. Material support of a woman whose interest is not the Lord would not actually help but enable her. It may be that the church at Ephesus was especially generous with her widows and needed to understand that this was both unsustainable and unhelpful. And maybe they had a reputation for care so that a lot of women were hanging around in the fringes of the, of the Christian community and expecting the same type of care. And Paul's making a distinction. You care for your own. For those that give themselves to the Lord are worthy of the help of the people of God which is at grace cost. The first order of business is to discern 
their situation. How exactly that's worked out today requires insight and wisdom and those nuts and bolts aren't for this morning. Well, once that was plain, in accord with their material and spiritual situation, they need us to care for them. They need us to know them and they need us to care for them, to care for their physical needs. And the first way to do that is for the church to hold families responsible for their responsibility before God, whether they believe or not. All human beings made in God's image have a responsibility to care for their parents in older age. That doesn't mean that it doesn't come in the form of financial support for uh, their living on their own or in particularly difficult medical later stage situations, care in some kind of home. But, the, but in the home is always ideal and the children are always to be attentive to their parents' needs. The church can support the widow's physical needs by highlighting the reasons that a family should care for their widowed. It's right. It's making a turn to their parents. It pleases God. It preaches the gospel for believers. They don't deny the faith when they care for their, their parents. And it removes the burden from the church. Again, an accent there on scarcity of resources. Those of you who are deeply embedded in and, and care for people within the church, recognize that you yourself have limits and the church has limits. A stewardship of our time and energy and resources is basic to the healthy administration of our care for one another when we're sick. We promote the welfare of our widows by promoting the responsibilities of families to care for their parents. It involves their physical care also involves their emotional care, which is why in-home care is the best. We're more than bodies to feed and keep alive. Independence is nice for a time, but there may become a time to take parents in. And I pray that you're thinking along those lines and preparing for that day emotionally and relationally with them and, and financially for them. In our modern Western world, we've gotten very good at doing everything and we value humans highly, but a facility will always have a bottom line. With family, the person is not a means to any other end than themselves. And with family is always best. We promote their physical welfare by calling the family to take care of their own. But where the family and other social programs would stop, the church can pick it up. Some light reflections on what that can look like. From time to time, you might see Rebecca Flint uh, moving about the building on a Sunday morning with a small plate of beautiful treats. I remember being not allowed to have one once. And that's because Rebecca and her children were on the hunt for widows. I remember visiting the Flint Shepherding Group and at least two widows shared their stories of how their shepherding group had been there for them to the point of tears recounting for me all that God had done in the years prior through that little circle of friends that I had the honor of sitting among for an evening. They were with each other in the hospital. They were with each other in their homes and they invited one another into their homes. That twice a month shepherding group leader meeting that's scheduled is merely a hub for all kinds of offline, unplanned, as needed support and interactions. If we depend on the scheduled meeting to get done everything the New Testament calls us to, we will be greatly disappointed in our church and in those meetings exploit them for relationships with, with one another in which you can, you can care as so many of you are doing. This group sure was. Widow care had gone cultural and that's how it's supposed to be. So engaging with Kirk a little bit on how their family approaches the care of widows because I've watched this and want to commend them for it. And I'll mention a few names before the sermon is out. And the purpose of that is not to bring glory to a person, but to bring glory to God who has worked through his people and to highlight what he, what he does and how he cares for his people. And so that you'll know who to chase down to learn from. <clears throat> he wrote, the biggest thing people can do is bring them into their family unit. Okay, so that's not gonna be on the website or a spreadsheet anywhere. You're just gonna have to do it is to bring a widow into their family unit. Let them feel they have a place they can go when they have a bad day. Let your children love on them. Include them in regular daily life. Parentheses, also with single moms, comma, also with single ladies, especially single ladies in older age. 
Linda Roney comes over almost every Sunday night for pizza and a movie. Yard work, electronics, changing light bulbs and fixing a running toilet are all little things that the husband generally took care of. If men think of the little things they do around the house without much thought, they're probably the the very same things that the widow would need and remind them of their loneliness. Consider that. And a light bulb that's difficult to get to or a toilet that's not working is not only a physical challenge, but a reminder that they are alone. So let our widows have family units that they can go to on a bad day or for a light bulb. One of our widows, Virginia Lacey, had this helpful advice to offer. I'm not a typical widow because I'm younger and I have also been spiritually single for many years before my husband got saved. So I learned how, to, how creative and a satisfying fellowship opportunity for myself. My young sons and my unsaved husband by inviting church family to my home. By doing that, it naturally led to many other spiritual needs being met. However, I think for most widows and single people in general, the following acts of love would be a blessing and an act of praise to God. First, pray. Pray for widows and let them know you're praying for them. Two, remember, send a card or make a call to let them know they're being thought of. Three, acknowledge. Greet them in the parking lot and in the lobby. Sit next to them. Four, include them in fellowship opportunities outside of the church. Invite them to coffee, lunch, dinner, into your home. Five, service. Older widows may be blessed by acts of service. Change light bulbs, rake leaves, fix a leaky faucet, fix the little things around the house. Does that ring a bell? (laughs) And six, engage, sit next to them at church, start a conversation with them. Many are lonely, arrange a visit in in their homes. Our widows need us to care for their physical and their emotional needs, but also their spiritual. It's interesting. Our passage, in our passage, Paul is indirectly calling widows to prayer. That's what he's doing. He's holding forth the target, the spiritual calling of widows. And it's our job to hold forth forth that calling to our sisters as well to promote not only their physical welfare, but their spiritual welfare. Widows do not get a pass for sinful attitudes and living because they are deeply grieved or because they are aged or because they are sickly. And we do no favor, even if it is awkward and difficult to address, we do no favor by for extended periods allowing sin to fester and run rampant in the life of a sister. We deny the church the help she needs. We deny that sister the glory of a prayer-filled life and we deny the community the light of the gospel in her. She needs hope. Give her hope. She needs encouragement. Give her encouragement. And some may need a rebuke and an exhortation and do that in a knowing and a loving way. There's spiritual good. A widow who is all alone is a widow vulnerable in a variety of ways. In that context, to prostitution or Starvation in our culture, all day TV, all day social media, downward depression spirals, pity parties. With widowhood comes opportunities for trouble, but also great spiritual profit. And that is prayer. We think of Anna in Luke chapter two, who was advanced in years, a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and prayer night and day. It's almost like he had Anna in the background as he wrote this. She was waiting for and praying in the Messiah. And we have had Annas among us as well. Angelusha comes to mind, who would pester people for prayer updates. Uh, Geneva Anderson comes to mind, a prayerful sister. My wife has visited with the older ladies class and a repeated, it's not called the older ladies class, but it's, it's called ladies, you, you feel me. My, my wife's repeated comment to me was, those women pray. They are serious about praying for one another. A group of Annas, several of them widowed, who, met up here on the, who meet up here on the fourth Tuesday of the month, meet for prayer as well. Not just widows, but several. Anna's kept the lights on in the Soviet Union after communist, under communist control. Get this. 
the Soviet Union underestimated the danger of allowing the older women to continue to meet and pray. (laughs) One commentator relays this account. When one pastor visited Ukraine after the fall of that evil empire, he saw how mistaken the communists were when they allowed the older women to continue worshiping together. It was they who were considered no threat to the new order, but it was they whose prayers and faithfulness over all those barren years held the church together and raised up a generation of men and young people to serve the Lord. Yes, the church we attended was crowded with these older women at the very front, for they had been stalwart defenders and maintainers of Christ's gospel. But behind them and alongside them and in the balcony and outside the, outside the widow's were the fruit of their faithfulness, men, women, young people, and children. We must never underestimate the place and power of our godly women. Widows need the church. Our widows need us to know them, their familial and spiritual situations, and our widows need us to care for them by promoting their physical, emotional, and spiritual care. All of this applies to men, and I'll let you make that application. Paul's focal point is on women and they remain today the most vulnerable. But clearly it goes both, both two ways. Their prayers are not some kind of therapy for the difficulty of old age, although God ministers to them in their own prayers. Their prayers are for us. They are strategically available for prayer and we need them. And this two-way benefit dignifies our women in older age. So let's call them to it. Our widows need us. Second, verses nine through 10, we need our widows. We need our widows. Let a widow be enrolled if she's not less than 60 years of age, having been a wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work, let her be enrolled. What is this about an enrollment? It's curious. I planted a seed by saying some of what we'll see as working on the ground here in care for widows won't carry over immediately to us, but it will by application. When I hear enrollment in the context of widows and their need, I think about enrollment in a plan or a program of support. That's what I hear. It's partly that, but there are four reasons why this can't be just that. The requirements are way too restrictive. Couldn't widows under 60 years of old need material support as well? And wouldn't some faithful widows have been less than faithful in years past? And would a widow really need to be this spiritually exceptional to qualify for help? Does that even sound right to Bible readers? And what's this about denying Christ if they get married? That's curious. Marriage can't be bad because Paul will go on to encourage marriage. So is this some kind of trade for help? Enter a life of celibacy or you're on your own. Here's a better way to understand this idea of an enrollment in the context. This wasn't a list for those who received help of any kind. There were a variety of kinds of help available. But for for women who were adopted fully into the church as family practically for total care and who were likewise given that new vocational situation then deployed and employed in ministry to the church. It's uh, not quite an official order of widows, but it is a special vocational block of widows. Hence the character qualifications that sound like qualifications for an office of elder or deacon. And hence the implied vow of celibacy for demotion to the church instead of to marriage. And as an aside, this is where the Catholic church gets its ground for the role of a nun. Women set apart for service to God and his people. The problem is that they over-elevated this kind of devotion and lowered the age and lowered the age so that now a teenager can devote themselves to the ministry of the church and celibacy. 
But this is not so different from what Paul calls false teaching in chapter four. That of foregoing marriage will be seen as some kind of elevated spiritual commitment. In any case, in context, this was for women who were past childbearing age, usually ineligible for marriage. It would become impractical to imagine that. And they oughtn't, given that age, to pursue it unlikely to burn with sexual passion at that age. And those who could, for all of those reasons, actually be of immense help to the church if they would decide to give themselves wholly to the church. And in all of this, they would be fully supported by the church. I think that's what's going on here. A combination of support and particular deployment for ministry. Well, understanding the historical context, we do not need to establish an enrollment for such a class of widows, I don't think. That was a practical answer for some godly widows without family to care for them in a world without other options. However, what we can do is be sure to benefit from widows in all of the ways that widows were intended to benefit the church back then. And we need at least three things from them. Hear this church and hear this widows of your purpose in this season of your life. We need their maturity. This class of widows would be over 60, which is to say women over 60 have a lot to offer the church. Widows over 60, you have a lot to offer to the church. I know this firsthand. You may not be as sharp as you were or as socially savvy or as confident, just knowing from the kind of insecurities that you express, but God has brought you through life to this point and you are a gift to your brothers and sisters and to me. So spend yourself on our good. Do not overestimate your value in a merely human way, but do not underestimate your value in light of God's purposes to strengthen his church with your life. You have a purpose in this season of your life and that purpose is on the page right here. We need your maturity. We also need your example. This class of widow here, in context, was reserved for those who had been faithful to their, their husbands. There's a principle here of an exemplary life. And you will not feel like you commended Jesus in every dimension of your life to this point. But in as much as you followed the Lord, and as much as you were faithful to a husband, you're an example to us. To those of you who are widowed and were married 10 or 30 or as many as 50 years, younger couples in our church need to hear from you that it is hard, that it is very hard, that it is possible, and that it is worth it. We need to hear from the perspective of a saint who is beyond the baby stage, who sent their kids out, and who can look back on those years from the vantage point that you share. This is part of God's plan for you and God's plan to strengthen our church. We need your maturity, We need your example and we also need your good works. The enrollment was for those who, verse 10, had a reputation for good works. If she's brought up children, shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints and cared for the afflicted and has devoted herself to every good work. Here we get some specifics as to what can otherwise be a vague vague header, right? Good works. Well, what are those? Well, here are some. Here are some. Bringing up children, that's a good work. It's a hard, it's tiring. It has you up at night. It brings out the best in you. It brings out the worst in you. It's a good work. Showing hospitality, that's a good work. She's washed the feet of the saints. She's served at cost to herself and selflessly, and she's cared for the afflicted. As you've given yourselves to those things, give yourselves to those things for we need it. I was at a shepherding group two weeks ago, hosted in the home of one of our widows I mentioned earlier, Virginia Lacey. There are so many names and stories that I could speak of here. Pauline Davis, Carol Bright, Nancy Lowe, Susan Dagg, Beulah Hughes, Kate Steele, our older single ladies or widowed ladies, each with their own stories and commendations. But I had a personal encounter with Virginia in the last few weeks. She had hors d'oeuvres prepared for us and they were delicious. We spent two hours together praying and discussing the scriptures with other, with other saints. And in the course of that visit, I learned about her initiative with our young professionals, 20-somethings. She was stirring up love and good works, just 
scanning the church directory and texting and inviting them over for a get together with 20 or so folks and just stirring the body up to take care of itself. It's a good work. We were done. When we were done, she saw us out of the home. But before I got into my car, Virginia was already disappeared into a house. I'm like, what is she doing? Well, she had a plate of hors d'oeuvres in her hands. So we were done and she was going to deliver them to a neighbor, I presume. But even as I'm walking to my car, I'm talking to another shepherding group member who was leaving. It was about 6.25 when we were leaving the house. And he says, would you know she has company coming over at seven? <laughs> so... That kind of intensity isn't for everybody. Don't feel crushed under the weight of Virginia's hospitality. But I mean to hold it out. I mean to hold it out as an encouragement and in a help. And in all of that selfless giving, and you'll have your own kind, the church is strengthened. I reached out to her about how she sees her role in our church. And she said this as a younger widow, I believe that widows have responsibilities too. God did not call us to be lonely, bitter, forgotten, and helpless. If you feel forgotten, God has not called you to feel forgotten. And some of that is on you. I believe that as much as we're able to, we ought to be doing these things too. Praying for young families, acknowledging the need of others, inviting others into our lives and our homes, serving as we're able and engaging others by sitting next to someone instead of sitting by ourselves in church. So the initiative goes both ways. A beautiful word from a sister and a fellow widow. Not every widow will engage in that level of hospitality, but we can commend it. Now he says this is for older widows only, this enrollment that Paul has mentioned. Why so? Well, as we consider this, we'll discover some of the unique vulnerabilities common to especially younger widows. Vulnerabilities which make the kind of enrollment he's talking about vocationally supported ministry imprudent for the church. Now, we don't have that kind of an enrollment, so this isn't an application to us in how we administer that kind of an enrollment. But in listening to how the church at Ephesus needed to manage their younger widows, we, we learn about the particular vulnerabilities to younger widows that we can look out for. Widows need us, we need our widows, and younger widows need to watch out, verse 11 through 16. Refuse, that's a strong word, refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers going about from house to house and not only idlers, but gossips and busybodies saying things they shouldn't. So I would have younger widows marry and bear children and manage their own households and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. There are dangers that lurk. And Paul is acutely aware of the vulnerabilities of younger women, unmarried, and perhaps those who have undergone the trial of losing a husband. Younger widows need to watch out for two temptations in particular, the temptation to laziness, to being an idler, and for another temptation that laziness often leads to, and that is to gossip. This is common to us all. It's a temptation for us all. You observe something in one person or in one situation and you have a thought in your head about it, maybe a little condescending, maybe a little critical and you wanna release it. And it helps you to bond with this person over here to release that thought and then to get their thought. And then you two are tight. There's almost a chemical reaction that happens. And especially for a lonely person, person who is alone, perhaps especially for a lonely younger widow, this temptation to gossip is very, very, very strong. Because in, the, in gossip, there's almost a kind of cementing companionship that can happen that we all experience and are tempted into, but that are particularly true or for which younger widows are particularly vulnerable. They need to watch out for these two peculiar temptations and it's because of these temptations that Paul says that these younger widows need to watch out for a husband. A spouse and children are a grace from God in part to keep us busy. Ever thought of that? That's what he's saying, to keep them busy. Satan is a student of the unique temptations of each gender at each age and of each kind of person given what they've suffered, which is why younger widows also need to watch out for Satan. 
They're in a position to be tempted and to bring slander upon the church from Satan, even to stray after Satan, he says. So Timothy is pastoring in an environment where you've got uh, men stirring up all kinds of speculative teaching and jockeying for position, and he's got to get them to stand down, and he's got to appoint biblically qualified elders and get this thing in order. It's going to be chaos in that church until qualified godly men able to teach are in the office of elder, until qualified men are deacons. But he's also got, he's also got women who are straying after Satan, slandering and gossiping in the shadows of church life, creating trouble, seeking companionship in difficult and condescending talk about whomever and about whatever, ruining themselves and ruining the church. What a difficult role he had. And it's for all of us to self-police. Remember, Paul says to Timothy, command and teach these things. And so that's what I'm doing with you. Let's look out for one another and recognize that Satan lurks in the shadows studying our unique vulnerabilities. And a younger widow may have a vocation. Maybe she has a career. She's not as frail as an older widow, but she has acute vulnerabilities to despondence, discouragement, self-pity, gossip, slander, and sin. And for the church at Ephesus, they were not to enable these women by putting them on the same kind of support that they would women over 60, lest they harm them by freeing them for more of the same trouble. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? Nuts and bolts. Uh, church life is always sticky and dirty. And here, here Paul is instructing Timothy not only on how to care for his church doctrinally, but in the care of widows. Church, this is what's at stake in our thoughtful, careful, attentive, directive care for our widows. Their safety in Christ in our church's witness in Christ. And widows and single moms and singles and widows of all kinds and anyone else that came to mind for you in the course of this sermon, maybe yourself, this is what sits stake in how you handle yourself in your trial the reproach of Christ on his church. Allow me to close with a word about my sister, Flora Fulton, whom many of you no doubt know. Flora was one of my first friends at Heritage. I remember her introducing herself to me as I was walking down that aisle about two thirds back where she usually sits. She said something like, go and preach sin in Jesus. It was a little more hellfire and brimstone than that, I'll be honest, but I got it. And it's good and I pray that she's pleased. She was bright and she was alone. It took a lunch date with Flora and our family for our family to learn about her marriage and her lot. Flora and Bill, or if you know Flora, her sweet William, were married young and for 50 years. And the years ticked on, she would say to herself, I can't go before he goes. He can't go before I go. She did not want to be left alone. But even five years before William passed, she was alone. He suffered from Alzheimer's and didn't know who she was, at least most of the time. How difficult that must be. And in the story of his passing and her handling of that in the immediate aftermath and in the mid or long term, uh, is a beautiful story of God's grace to strengthen a woman in trial. In her words, I did not feel personally like I handled the death of my husband well. I should have had the help of the Lord in it. When he was gone, I was devastated. We were sweethearts. I can't live without you, I'd say. I was a recluse. I look back, it's all I could have done at the time. And of course, we should all understand. Well, you haven't been through it like me, was a cop-out I would tell myself. I even told one of my children, it's better not to love than to lose. That hurts. I can see those who were, those were wrong feelings to have. It took months until I could say that my goal was this, that in his passing, that I would love the Lord more and his word more than I had while I was living. It took months until I could say, thank you for taking my husband, Lord. And I got perfect peace and satisfaction and rest when I finally came to say, thank you, Lord. What I'm doing now and what has been a blessing now is to visit people in nursing homes. 
I could not do it at first because the memory was so fresh in my mind, but now I feel I can bring some sunshine to their lives just by being there and singing a song and praying and reading scripture. In my generation, all of my friends are in nursing homes, not able to walk on walkers and wheelchairs. These people are alone and I can be a friend to them. One thing about older age is I have lost my confidence to teach or say things in front of people. But of course, she is bearing much fruit. And I'm thankful that after engaging with her, she allowed me to share that with you. Pray it builds you up. Here's from her son, David. We count on her for prayer anytime there's a need in the family. An awesome person for you to allow yourself to unburden yourself with and with a prayer request. She's been involved in a blessing to our shepherding group. God shows her that she does still have a ministry in dealing with people less fortunate than she is. She can get around and she can be arms and legs for people who can't get out and do things. And her willingness has allowed her to not be in self-pity, but to serve others. Not only can she deal with life, but she can deal with other people's lives too. Well, our sister Flora, our dear sister Flora is 83, 11 grandchildren, five great grandchildren and two on the way. And she has a room full of brothers and sisters here who need her even as she needs them. And she has an abundant purpose that God has shown to her. And I pray he'll show to you when you're in that spot. And she says, I'm happy to talk with any widow who needs some encouragement. And in this widow and in so many of you, we have a display of Christ's power to save and to prepare one for his presence. The power of Christ who shines his light through his church by saving us from sin and also from sin's despair. I personally don't know what it's like to lose a spouse after 50 years like Flora. And I don't know what it's like to be 83, but I'm helped by the Lord by my sister's good works and so are you. She's proving the Lord's word true and she is frustrating Satan's efforts to harm the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for our dear sisters who often feel alone, who feel unconfident for a variety of reasons. And in a world that makes much of youth, that markets everything to the young who have a buck, We pray that the church would be the place where the spotlight is as often on those who are old because we need their wisdom and their maturity and their example and because we need their good works. Father, help us to care for our widows because they need us and help us to know our need for them for it is in showing our need for them and in benefiting from their life that you strengthen the church and you give them dignity an abundant purpose. You're so kind. Give me these kinds of convictions and fruitfulness in my older age. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.